Now, Jeff, with 9.5 remaining, a miracle finish would have to obviously happen for Phoenix to pull it out. And again, they're out of timeouts. That's why you've got to concentrate on the details. Booker turns, shoots, fires. Shot won't go. Tucker the rebound. And that'll do it. It's over. The Bucks have done it. The long wait has ended. After a half century, the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. 11 days earlier. And to be honest with you, Dan, I have zero confidence that the Bucks can win a game. Really? A game. What in their history gives us the confidence that they'll make adjustments? They don't do that. They don't do that. And the Suns are outplaying them in every facet of the game. I'm beginning to question everything I've thought about the Milwaukee. This is one of the worst teams in finals history. Somewhere in Wisconsin at a Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Can I have, please, a 50-piece Mac Minis? 50, exactly. Not 51, not 49. Chicken Minis, yes. 50. Put two of them up your ass. And give me 50 chicken McNuggets. Obviously, I want I want to get the job done. But that's my stubborn side. Like, it's easy to go somewhere and go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. But this is the hard way to do it, and this is the way. And we did it. We did it. We did it, man. People are falling in love with Giannis for the first time, which I don't know how is possible because I thought we all went through this in 2013 to 14 when he has his smoothies and we're falling in love with him, but it's happening all over again. It's amazing. The idea that he had to teach himself how to scowl. And he did it <laughs> by basically imitating Russell Westbrook. How did you unearth that piece of information? Like, how did you, how do you even come across something like that? Yeah. So I did 221 interviews for the book and I talked to a lot of teammates from those early years and strength coach and literally everyone and anyone who was around that team. And the one thing people kept saying, Giannis used to go in front of the mirror and just flex and practice. <laughs> and he would just, you know, this is like something that does like, you know, benches, like 10 times or something and then has to go check and be like any difference, you know? <laughs> so I think like, so I just, it's such an endearing anecdote. And, you know, so many spoke about it because, you know, as Skip Robinson, who was working in player development at the time told me, it's like, you had to practice it because he's not that guy. I love that we chose this excerpt because obviously he is that guy. Now we saw the bean mug, but it took some time. That is Mirren Fader, proper in- introduction for everybody here. She is the author of Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an M- NBA MVP. And now you got to change the title to, of your book Finals that's coming out August 10th. You can pre-order now. Now you have to say of a champion, Finals yeah, you MVP. you got to put like those, one of those stickers on the book. I know. And I got to add like a new epilogue, maybe a new preface. Like I have some more writing to do. <laughs> sec- second edition coming up. Second yeah, edition. Te- Every textbook I ever had in college, that's how they get you. Like, oh, no, you need the second edition or the third edition because it has this one chapter on something that happened last year. It's all a scam except for this one. (laughs) (laughs) So take me me back to the origin story of Mirren, who is one of the best sports writers we have in this business. Um, It's covered just about every sport. We used to work together at BR Mag, and I got up close and personal look at how – good you are at this craft 
Giannis Antetokounmpo hadn't won the title. Um, he had won an MVP. Um, but I don't know if this story arc could have ended any better for you to drop this uh, excerpt today on the ringer um, about the kind of the start to his NBA career and how he developed under Jason Kidd. We'll get into the Jason Kidd stuff for sure. <laughs> but that that excerpt was great. But I also wondered, like, why did you decide to write this book or focus on Giannis as opposed to Luca or someone else? Was there I can't remember. Was there a Giannis story that you had written at BR Mag or somewhere else that you were just like, I, I got to write the book? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for all the kind things that you just said. Um, yeah. So basically I wrote the story on, originally I was just going to do a story on Alex, Giannis's youngest brother. He was one of the top high school prospects in the nation. As you know, BR was like very obsessed with like, who's the next whoever. So I thought yeah. like, you know, maybe he's good. Like maybe I should go find out. So I went to his house and then Giannis is like in the kitchen and I'm like, oh my God, like Giannis is there, you know, like I didn't think he was going to be there. I had no idea. And so I spent the whole day with them and interviewing Giannis and Alex and then Kostas, the other brother, and then Veronica, the mother. And, you know, I really wasn't thinking about a book at all. I was just so enamored by this story because it was kind of the first time I felt like we saw a more vulnerable side of Giannis. You know, he was opening up about the death of his father and a lot of the topics we covered. So the story came out and I got a lot of reception for it. And personally, I had been trying to write a book for like five years and I would go to literary agents and they would say, I like you, but you're too young. Or like, I think you're on the rise, but you're not there. Or like, great idea, not a sellable idea, you know, because it has to be marketable. It can't just be a good story. You know, Boys in the Boat is kind of like a, a once in a millennium type of thing. So I had met a literary agent in January of that year. The Yana story came out in June, I think, of 2019. And this literary agent was the first one to like really respect me and take me seriously. And he was like, my door is open if you have any ideas. So I sent him the story and he was like, yes, because <laughs> um, it was both a human story and obviously a sellable idea. You know, the kind of stuff that I work on, it always, for me, it has to be more than so-and-so is really good at basketball. There has to be some compelling human element and Giannis just has that in droves. And he didn't even get named MVP the first one until after my story came out. So I didn't even, I didn't predict any of this. Well, Mary, let me ask you a question because we had Matt Sullivan on a couple of weeks ago. He wrote that embedded story with the, the Brooklyn Nets. And one of the things I was really curious about was, how did you even get approved to do this? Like, you, what did you have to do in order to prove, hey, I'm the one to tell your story? Well, I think it's kind of weird because there are no parameters for like how that works. And I was, as a first time writer, I was like, do you get the book deal first and then you ask, or do you ask and then you get the book deal? So everyone I was talking to was giving me like different advice. And so I immediately <laughs> read, you know, it's great. Um, I like, thank you all. Um, and so I just reached out to Alex first. I was like, let me just ask the family first. And he steered me to the agents and that led to a couple conversations and nothing like really happened. Cause I didn't have a book deal, you know? So it's hard right. because you, you can't really say like, can you do this thing that I don't have? Um, so I had to get the book deal. And so it kind of happened more organically than like, Oh, I approve or I don't. I don't personally, I don't think they care as much as we think in our literary world about, 
you know, like all these process, you know, like for them, they're like, okay, we have a Disney deal and we have this and we're doing this and we're doing that. So I think for, it's a little murky on how it works, but you know, so essentially I got the book deal. I, I turned in my proposal December, 2019, and then it shopped around early 2020. I didn't sign the deal until mid March, 2020, but I actually flew to Milwaukee in February because I was nervous because my first book and I just met with the brothers and interviewed them again. And so they like had no issue. And then I interviewed, um, Costas in LA again, and then the world shut down. So, um, it's a long winded way of saying like, you have to be scrappy and get it any way you can and work your own relationships. Um, it's not really like this drawn out process. Was it, but there wasn't any, um, resistance or kind of uh, insular feeling from the Ana de Kumpo family saying, I don't know if we want to open our lives up to this stranger to write about. Not from the family. I don't think, I mean, they all, I interviewed them multiple times. Um, I don't think the agents particularly like wanted it because Mm -hmm. they want to control everything Mm -hmm. like any other agent. Um, It's not a bad thing. It's just how it works. So, Yeah. So I'm not going to rely on them for access. I I got the family on my own um, and, and Giannis on my own and just my own reporting. And, you know, certainly the bucks didn't help either, um, which was just so bizarre because the book is like a love letter to the Milwaukee bucks organization. So I just, you know, I, I interviewed so many bucks people like on my own and through my own connections. So um, it's really weird. I just think like whether you're writing a book or a long form, like we're just in this age where like a lot of it is just your own hustle and your own connections. People aren't, you know, necessarily like the handlers, the agents, they don't necessarily like help, um, which is fine. Um, I just wanted to do a good job and like honor their story. You know, Tom, that's when you, two, two for two now. Both of you guys are like, it basically was a, yeah, I asked and they said yes. And, as I'm my, saying, it's not, it, yeah. It's crazy because in my mind, I'm thinking like you went to Giannis and Giannis like, I don't know. I, maybe it's too early for a book to be written about me. And, and, you, and both of you guys, both Matt and you both said basically, I asked the players and the players like, yeah, why not? It's amazing how <laughs> open they are to, to this process. Well, it's just, I mean, I guess the way I would put it is like what the agent wants and what the players want are not. I mean, the the agents look after the players, but there's just a level of control. So, you know, if the agents were just like, I'm not going to help you, like there's nothing I can do to control that. So I have an assignment to do. The book is still Mm -hmm. due. You have to do your job. I was watching, uh, scrolling through Twitter this afternoon, and I noticed that I think Emmanuel Acho, he talked about how that Giannis can't be the face of the league because he, America doesn't know him doesn't know his family, doesn't know his mother's name is one of the examples he used why Giannis can't be the face of the league. We knew LeBron's story and like where he went to high school and where he went to uh, play AAU ball. And like we knew Kobe's, you know, father's story and all that seemed like a discredit to Giannis and the fact we didn't know his story or like who he was coming into the NBA. And I found that interesting is, um, you know, there is this big gap with Giannis's stories. I don't think people really know, which is why Mir and your book is going to be so big and so important is that there's so much of the Giannis story that the American public does not know. I don't agree with the premise that that means he can't be the face of the NBA, but um, there are some gaps that need to be filled in the Giannis story. What was the gap that you wanted to fill most going into this and being like, 
I don't know how he went from A to B or from J to K. I want to know more about that. What was the thing about Giannis that really, really intrigued you in his story? I mean, the entire childhood. I think we just know he sold trinkets by the street and that's it. You know, nobody ever bothered to be like, what street? What market? What? And I don't know. I shouldn't say nobody bothered. There was not access given to journalists as well. That's a part of this whole thing. But also being international, like, I don't know. So you're you're saying it. people wanted to do that story. They weren't allowed to in Greece or um, with the national team? No, I'm actually just meaning in general, like part of the reason we don't know too much about Giannis because people just haven't done too many stories on him because they haven't been granted access or things of the like, like Mm. American journalists. But so I was just, you know, wanted to know everything about childhood. Um, Not much is known about him being undocumented. Um, You know, there, there's only feel good stories. There's only like the, the family, the white Greeks that helped him out. There's not stuff about racism. There's not stuff about the Greek government dragging his feet on granting him citizenship. You know, I interviewed the prime minister of Greece at the time and he kept using the word alien, which is just not even accurate because Giannis was born in Greece. So it really just kind of tells you everything you need to know about how they're looking at, you know, black people born in Greece that should be considered Greece, Greek, but are considered other because they don't grant birthright citizenship. So I talked to so many people that filled in those gaps for me. Um, the racist in- insults shouted at um, mm-hmm. Yadis during games, um, the people that were not kind to him. So I think that we can hold both of these things in our heads at once. There were really supportive, amazing people that treated him with dignity and respect. And there were people that, that didn't. It's, I mean, I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing to come out of uh, your book, which I can't wait to read because I've heard, you know, people who are close to Giannis talk about like even the nickname Greek freak. There's a little bit of like, I, I'm not, he's like, I'm not 100% on that because it paints, it, it's, uh, you know, I likened it to the black experience here in America. It's like, yes, you're an American and you represent the USA, but it's like, this country hasn't been good to people like us throughout its history, both in the far past and in the very recent past of our lifetime right now. And Giannis represents, uh, you know, a, an experience that I think is echoed throughout Europe of African immigrants being treated as less than by the European countries that they live in, regardless of whether they were born there, regardless of, you know, you think about places like France, multi-generational. These people are French, their parents are French, their grandparents are French, but they still look at them Algerian, Senegalese or whatever. You, you don't get to... Uh, you know, get the uh, the full status of a citizen of the country that you live in. And so, you know, I wonder, Marin, do you get the feeling that as time goes by, and especially now that Giannis has accomplished the biggest uh, event of his career, is he going to become more vocal about those things? You know, I literally have a chapter on this at the end, near the end of the book, charting how when he starts out, there's a Greek interview I found of him. There's very few because he wasn't that good of a prospect. And the interviewer asked him in like 2012, have you ever experienced racism? And he says, no, never. And it has exclamation points. Um, And we know that's obviously like not true. Um, Mm. Certainly my reporting like backs that up and you'll see in the book. But then, you know, 
every year passes by, there's a little bit more comments that he makes up just a little, you know, very small. Mm -hmm. And then, and he's becoming more and more vocal. And one of the things that, um, I wanted to do in this book was interview other black migrant basketball players, some that were born in Greece and some that were not, that were friends with Giannis growing up to see the ways in which their lives were not able to ascend the way Giannis was because they didn't have their citizenship fast tracked the way Giannis was. They didn't Mm -hmm. get to live the life because they were going to go to the NBA to show that Giannis could have easily ended up with the same situations that these guys were. And one of those players, um, this guy, Etinosa Everbenagi, he said, Giannis doesn't have to be Muhammad Ali. He doesn't have to be, you know, Colin Kaepernick, but I think he realizes that he can use his voice more and that he can speak on it more because there's a lot of us still going through this in Athens. So, um, you know, Although Greeks love Giannis, his murals are still being desecrated. There were swastikas on a mural really? of his. Yeah. So, so there's a, yeah. So in the later chapters, I return to this, this theme of, of race in Greece and, um, and how, yeah, there are people that still say very racist things when Giannis, I'm not sure if you were at BR still, Tom, but there was an interview on TNT with, with Giannis that I mentioned in my um, book. And Giannis said it's very hard for um, people of color in Greece or something like that. And um, there was tons of tweets that were super racist from people in top um, officials in Greece calling him just the worst uh, racist things you could ever. And um, I include all those comments in the book. So. I didn't know about this. And as a, uh, as part Greek myself, um, I think it's important that we have those conversations, right. And the awareness that even today that there are swastikas on Giannis's murals. I mean, I thought he would be 2021. He's, I mean, whenever it was, it's, it's, it's astounding to me (laughs) because I I can't imagine someone who would be a a a better representation of your country. He's a national hero. Right. And, and again, I think, Adding on to the layer of like he has every right to rip Greek to shred Greece to shreds about how him and his family were treated, and he doesn't. It's like, what more could you want from a guy to represent your country? Not only in excellence on the court, but excellence in character and as a human being. But then also hiding the immense baggage that you guys have. Like he could, I, he's 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 doing you a favor on some level. You know the country of Greece. Yes. And it's complicated because there were so many kind white people to him. So he's just looking at his experience through these really complicated prisms. On the one hand, you have people that totally were not racist and he felt respected and dignified and was super popular and had a lot of friends. There's, uh, I mentioned his white godmother, this woman named Marietta. She would just fix him and, and his Pakistani friend a hot plate. No reason to do that, right? It's just a random lady. And again, not here to to praise people for being decent, but he's just looking at that experience and then also these other experiences. And it's not one or the other. And he is immensely proud to be Greek and immensely yeah. proud to be Nigerian. It's just Greece is, I mean, you'll see in the book, there's just a lot of denial of the racism in, in there. Well, Mira, Mira, let me ask you, what about, Thanasis, what about Costas? Did they have different experiences or do they kind of fall in step with with Giannis as far as the, you know, the company line? 
Yeah. So one of the things Alex, the youngest told me is like, aren't, so the neighborhood they lived in was majority migrants. So they loved their neighbors. Um, so it was, it was when you go to white spaces outside of the neighborhood. So Alex said, our neighborhood did a great job of making us feel like racism wasn't a problem, but that doesn't mean that everybody else did. And then he said, we've been treated like outsiders, you know, our whole lives. I asked Kostas about Golden Dawn, um, which is a neo-Nazi group that was prevalent in Greece uh, at the time. And they are a criminal terrorist organization. They chase migrants, they beat them up, they murder them. And Golden Dawn actually had a lot of seats in parliament at the time Giannis was coming up. So it's not that Giannis left his house every day and felt scared or anything like that. He, he felt safe, but he was always keenly aware that this terrorist group was around. And I chart moments in the book where he did encounter them and had to run the other way. Um, so I asked Costas about it and he said, look, like you just know you can't walk alone at night, um, things like that. And so, um, again, like, it's not like they were Nazis outside their door every second, but it was definitely there. It was definitely prevalent and they all felt it. Um, and that's why it was very interesting that Giannis gets drafted to Milwaukee, a very segregated city with very, very high rates of incarceration of black men that literally are in the same age bracket that he is. Mm. And so it was such a fascinating um, introduction to racism in America and how that differs from back home. Miren, when you talk about the improbable rise of an NBA MVP, the word improbable, what is the moment in the book that makes it the most improbable? Like, what is the moment that like against all odds, Giannis is going to be the MVP. Oh my God. Um, that's a very, very good question. Uh, Cause every part is improbable. Um, I'm going to tell you my favorite anecdote, which shows how crazy it is that this is the same person that ascended to an MVP, if that's okay. Cause I'm blanking on Giannis. Um, Giannis is used to not trusting people because obviously he and his family are undocumented. So there was always a fear that police could come and take his parents away. Um, he grows up with that anxiety. He feels that intensely. It doesn't really ever go away. So flash forward, he comes to Milwaukee and he has to get his TV installed. A cable guy is supposed to come. He doesn't trust the cable guy because of all the stuff we just talked about. He asked a buck staffer to be there. So the buck staffer is there. It actually goes on all day. It's like nine to 4 PM. And, um, the staffer is like really hungry because it's been all day. So he goes into Giannis's pantry and he takes a couple of cookies, um, a couple of Oreos and he eats them. Doesn't really think anything of it. The next day at practice, Giannis comes up to the staffer and he's like, did you eat my Oreos? And the staffer is like, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. You know? And, the, and then, and then the Giannis is like, I noticed three were missing and it just, it just, it just like, when I learned that it just destroyed me because who counts their Oreos, a million dollar NBA player counts their Oreos, but of course he counts his Oreos because he is still the child that is used to not knowing whether he will have enough food. And it just encapsulated everything that I think I learned about Giannis and what he was going through at the time and how it affected him as he matured into an adult. So when I watch him in the finals, when I think of him ascending to the insane generational wealth, like I think of the rookie who counted his Oreos and it just is so crazy. So. Yeah, that's, 
Um, I count my Oreos because I love Oreos (laughs) and, uh, I make sure in my house, we actually got those, like, I guess, 4th of July Oreos for the kids for 4th of July, where it's, they've got like, um, they got pop rocks in them because of fireworks. Have you ever seen Oreos are crazy. They, they come up with the craziest ideas to like just diversify all their flavors. I'm not into that. If we're going to go any variation, it's double stuff and that's it. That's it. That's it. Like that's, that's the old, that's as far as I'll go. Just give me more filling. <laughs> but we're not doing different colors, different flavors, just standard Oreo, please. I want to get into this, this excerpt because um, okay. it really was such a good window. It's on the ringer.com to, to, to read the excerpt about, you know, Jason Kidd and Giannis mm-hmm. and, and kind of developing into the badass that you saw drop 50 points. But it, he is such a he's so tough. You know, when you read this story, you realize how many times that Jason Kidd basically stepped to him and was like demanding respect or, or seeing to seeing if Giannis was gonna bow down and basically cower in front of Jason Kidd. Um it kind of reminded me of the J.K. Rowling or whatever in in Whiplash. Like it felt a lot of Whiplash to me. Slow down, slow J.K. down. Simmons. J.K. J.K. Simmons is what J.K. I. J.K. Rowling and Whiplash. I know what you meant. As soon as I said it, I mean that is a whole nother thing right there. As soon as I said it, <laughs> Leviticus or whatever the hell I said. <laughs> I was with you, Tom. <laughs> oh man, J.K. Simmons. From the with Farmer's Insurance guy, very different than Harry Potter. Um, anyway, J.K. Simmons, like that felt very whiplashy to me. What Jason yeah. Kidd was trying to do with Giannis, trying to break him. Yes. But in fact, it I don't know whether it caused him to make that ascension and realize how good he could become. But to me, it just showed how fucking tough Giannis is. Giannis is so tough. I mean... Again, like when you don't know whether you're going to eat and it's 11 p.m., what is Jason Kidd asking you what you did wrong going to do to you? Like it's not, it's just you can't compare when somebody has that type of, of background. Jason Kidd is probably the most polarizing like coach I've ever had to write about. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some people that really love it. They're like, he's old school. I love it. Like you just sat an NBA player. That's fucking awesome. Then there's just so many players that just had an awful time. I've never had so many people say, can we go off the record? Like there's a lot of stories that I wasn't able to put in there. Um, But I think that Jason was an interesting coach for Giannis at the time, because I do think Jason correctly identified that Giannis should not be shooting. He should be going to the basket. Mm -hmm. I think that yes, you know, totally. But Jason wanted him to be a point guard. And now we're seeing, sure, he could like t- take the ball up, but he's he's got to be a center. Like he's just, they're not going to stop him in the paint. So I think Jason, Jason did some really good for him. But the one thing I don't, I'm not sure if this made the excerpt, but, um, and it's part of this chapter, Jason wanted Giannis to speak up. And Giannis is the guy in the back of the class. It's like, please don't call me. Please don't call me. Please don't call me. And Jason wanted him to be like, no, you need to assume leadership. So he picked on him during film sessions and it was humiliating. Um, and Giannis just like had to learn how to literally speak up so that kid would stop. Cause kid is the coach that's going to like sit there. It's just like college. Like, well, we're going to sit here till you do it. Like it's that type of vibe, um, which I think a lot of NBA players were like, I have not seen this since college. So, you know, Giannis, to his credit, learned to speak up and become a bit more vocal. On that note, um, 
Jared Dudley plays a role in the story as as his vet basically and and showing him the ropes. Um Dudley told Jason Kidd, you need to start Giannis over me, which I think for most people needs to be put in the context of Jared Dudley was approaching his own free agency, if I'm not mistaken. He wasn't that far off from being a free agent. So to do that was like you are basically putting your own money on the line. Um what what is what's their relationship like and and did Dudley ever kind of talk to you about why he chose to do that? Yeah, you're right about the the free agency thing. This was not a small thing to do and also like what NBA player does that. But then yeah. if you know <laughs> if you know anything about Jared Dudley, this completely tracks. He is the consummate teammate such an awesome human, but, um, I think he just respected that Giannis was not afraid to laugh at himself and he was not, he had no ego and he just could see how hard Giannis was working and how frustrated Giannis was in himself. And Jared saw that like, Oh, I can help him. You know, that's just part of Jared's DNA, but they got really, really close off the court. So Jared was actually the one they they used to talk on these long bus rides and um Giannis was still living with his mom like once they finally came over there and all lived in the same apartment. And Jared was like you're 21 now, you got to move out, you got to move into your own place, you got to be your own man. Giannis is like, "No, I don't want to. Like I want to live with my mom." You know, it's just so special, you know? And Jared was the one who's like, "No, you can move into a different apartment, same complex, you'll be right there." So he was just like such a mentor to him and like they're still close and you know the kids know each other and stuff um but yeah jared looked out but jared also knew how jason's mind worked jared knew when kid was doing the mind game things like when he would try the kid would try to talk to the veterans like jared maybe you're talking crap about a player because you know that player is going to tell that player and maybe that player is going to get motivated because you just talked about him like like jared knew how jason's mind worked Mirna, uh, last night watching the IG live between Giannis and his brother Tanasis, who's in who's in COVID protocols and wasn't able to be there and wasn't able to be there for the alley oop dunk. And I mentioned it to Cassidy Hubbard. I was like, man, this seems like such a uh, what a moment for Giannis to share with his brother to win the NBA Finals or have that game winning basket there, the alley oop, and not have him there. But in some ways, sharing that moment with the world, I think people got to see all the love and just the, the the shared brethren between the two of them, and how cool that was to see that to be to be able to as us on the sidelines watching that moment happen. Um, when you're reporting this story, I kind of imagine you and your heart were like, "Oh, I wish he was there." to share in all of these things in this celebration, have the brothers all there. Um, but it was not meant to be, I guess. I mean, it definitely like broke my heart because like there was a moment where I was talking to Thanasis and he was using a metaphor to describe his own journey, right? I know what he means to Giannis. We all know how much they mean, but Thanasis has Imagine like your baby brother's dreams bloom before yours. Imagine he becomes an icon and you're supposed to be the older guy and you're supposed to be happy for him. And it takes so much longer for you to get your shot. And Thanasis told me this metaphor of chopping down a tree. Like there's one guy that he just, you know, chops for hours and he gives up. And then the next guy doesn't look at the time because he doesn't want to give up. The third guy is something like he doesn't even consider the time. He's just going to chop and chop and chop until the tree comes down. And he uses this metaphor to talk about patience. And he says, my whole life, I've had to be patient for my own journey. 
I love my brother. I respect my brother, but I, I wanted it too. And so I think when I see both of them, even though the nest wasn't able to be there, he still has made a life for himself and his own journey, I think is really cool. You know, when they were growing up, Thanasis was the basketball player. He was thought of as the good one. Giannis was like the scrub <laughs> tag along. They would say that's Thanasis's brother, you know, mm-hmm. and Thanasis was the one in his ear. Like this is a saying he used to tell Giannis as a child, no, no tower is too tall to get knocked down. Again, you can do the unthinkable. Um, when Giannis was getting scouted by the NBA scouts, Thanasis was hounding him. Like if I was his brother, I would be like, Okay, just shoot, just do your thing, do your thing. I'm not going to go hard. I'm going to play dummy D. Thanasis yeah. was like, I'm going to make you work. I mean, imagine that. But that's because he wanted to make him better and he wanted him to shine on the biggest stage possible. So I'm really happy for them. I, uh, my favorite excerpt from, from the excerpt by far is the part <laughs> where, uh, you know where I'm going with this? I know uh, where you're going with this. <laughs> Josh uh, Oppenheimer, the assistant coach of the Bucks, they're watching. Uh, they're watching film with uh, with uh, Giannis, and he tells Giannis, "You see Batum? Look at him. Really look at him. He's a really good player. If you work really hard, you might be able to be a Nick Batum type of player." It says Giannis stared at his coach for a second, not frowning but looking surprised, a bit offended. Coach Giannis said, "If I become Nick Batum, I'm going back to Greece." <laughs> By the way, Batum at the time was like he was good. Max, he was a max player, right? He was okay. making maximum salary. He was he had played on winning teams in Portland. Very good defensive player, decent offensive player. And Giannis at this time is he's I mean he's a guy trying to find his way in the league. And, and so, but he knew I, like well, I mean, and so this this is this is my question because. There's a humility, obviously, that comes. You're 18 years old, drafted out of second division Greece. At what point did Giannis know, I'm destined for more than just, hey, I'm in the NBA. Glad to be here. You know what's crazy about this? When I first heard this anecdote, I was like, he could not have said that. It's Nick Batum. So I confirmed with three different people and they were like, oh my God, that was the funniest shit ever. Like, I still remember it. And so I was like, okay, good. Cause that's just too much. That's just too much. But to your point, so I asked people the same exact question you asked me. Cause I was like, this doesn't track. He's literally on a team that wins 15 games. He's like, all right. But like, Sometimes he makes 10 points. Sometimes he has two points, but everyone told me that there was this confidence that he carried literally since he got there. It's not that he thought he was destined for greatness. It was that he believed that he could do the work to get there. So he would just tell people like, you know, his friend, Ross Geiger, he would tell him next year, I'm averaging 15 and 10, like, get, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this many double doubles and I'm going to do this. And he would just speak it you know, almost like manifesting it. And he would just go up to people next year. I'm going to be better. Just watch. Like I I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the best, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's not like an arrogant thing. It's more of an endearing, like, you know, it being intentional about what you want, but he would, um, there was only some people that it turned the wrong way because they thought it was arrogance. Um, so like Miroslav, um, whose last name I'm going to butcher. If you guys want to help me out, Red, 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 uh, Red, Lisa. Red- Delisa, Miroslav, yeah. if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, there were moments where um, he was so annoyed at Giannis because Giannis would go up to people and be like, I'm the Greek freak. Like, I'm the <laughs> Greek freak. 
I'm the Greek freak. And then he, he would tell like Miroslav, you know what LeBron James did for America? I'm going to do that for Greece. And Miroslav is like, oh my God, this kid is so fucking annoying. Like I can't deal with this. And so, um, yes, a lot of people did not necessarily like this confidence that we're talking about, but I think it was good spirited. <laughs> Tom, Tom, I'm, I'm going to throw one last thing out here. I, I don't know if it's in the, in the book, but okay. I do want to ask about this. Uh, Giannis played for Greece in the world cup a couple of years ago and, uh, lost to Brazil. And after the game, the head coach of Brazil, he was asked, Hey, uh, was it hard to come up with a game plan to stop Giannis? And he said, no, I watched the NBA playoffs. So <laughs> the next, the, that very next season, they're playing Atlanta and they're blowing Atlanta out. And Atlanta had, it's not, it's not Bruno Caboclo, but they had, a, it might've been Lucas Nogueira. Uh, another Brazilian player who never plays. It's garbage time. He gets in the game. And Giannis attacks him mercilessly, dunks all over the guy, stands over him, flexes, just a unnecessary level of, you know, show of emotion and energy. Gets teed up for it, doesn't even argue it. After the game, they ask him, well, what was that about? And he said, because I can't play Barbosa and Verja because they're not in the NBA anymore. And... Mm. Yes. So Chris Middleton told us this story about he's a maniac. Like you guys see him as this nice guy, this cuddly guy and all that. But on the basketball court, he is, you know, unhinged almost in terms of his competitiveness and the the rage that he plays with. And I've always held that story in my head. And then I read about him learning how to scowl from watching Russell Westbrook on YouTube (laughs) what moment does that shift come for him from nice guy everywhere, even on the court to almost kind of intolerable as a person on the court? Well, okay. A couple of things. I'm upset that I did not have that anecdote in my book and we should have been friends earlier. I'm upset. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, that tracks with everything. Why do you think he always does so well against the Knicks? They were the only team that didn't come to Greece to scout him. Mm-hmm. He very much holds people in his mind that doubt him. Like, you know, at the time Dario Saric was supposed to be like the guy. And so Giannis wanted to prove like he was better, but he wasn't considered better than him at the time. So yes, it like very much if, if, People say things like he has in his head, he wants to prove it. Um, I think what it was, was actually not a mental shift. I think it was a physical shift. I mean, there's a whole lot more you can do to body people and be a monster when your body actually changes. You know, the thing about Giannis is that he was obviously not eating three full meals a day. So I talked to the team chef at the Bucks, and he was saying, we had to literally say it's okay to eat. Like, it's okay. Like you need to eat this. You need to eat that. You need to eat more. And so I think like that plus intense strength and weight training allowed him to transform. And so when he wants to cut somebody's heart out, he actually has the physical capacity to do so. You know, when you're going against Zach Randolph at first, you're going to literally fall over. But the next year, when you're a little bit more, you know, you're bumping people, you're dipping your shoulder. So I just think that the mean streak and the body, they bloomed at the same time. Mirren, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to read this book. And just from the little snippet we got on The Ringer today, I can't wait. Um, It just made me so much more excited. So thank you for joining us today on The Haver Show. Um, Tell people how they can get the book or if you have a favorite bookstore uh, back where you're at that you want just to give a shout out. 
Yes. Well, thank you for having me and pre-orders really help. So if you guys want to pre-order, I would really appreciate it. Um, any bookstore, any that you find books at Skylight Books, which is my favorite bookstore. Um, I literally go once a week. It's funny because they know me. I'm like, yes, more books. Um, they are doing a personalized signed book by me if you'd like to order through them. Um, and I can like write a message for you. You just have to do it through their website. Uh, but other than that, you know the deal, Amazon. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Mirren. Thank you, guys. So nice meeting. Okay, we'll and talk I mean, to it's you. all your fault, man. You should have talked to Mirren earlier. About I that know. Anecdote. I'm upset. <laughs> it was so good. That's one of my favorite Yana stories. That he is so good. His answer, matter of fact, was was because Barajal and Barbosa aren't in the NBA anymore. And and I, can't, I think it was Eric Name who asked the question. He was like, "Wait a second, this is about the World Cup from like months ago." And Lucas Nogueira barely played there either. Like it just—it was such a cruel thing to do. But he's just got this, I guess, like a, a grudge thing in him. I'm sick. I'm sick. Well, book number two. I'm going to consult you. Second edition. The second <laughs> yeah. edition. Very good. Exactly. Tom, let me ask you something. Did you come? Did you walk away with the feeling that Jason Kidd was portrayed negatively, or, or yes. not like not favorably? I should say. Not favorably, yeah. yeah. I I was doing the opposite. I was like, "Oh shit!" Like this, these are the seeds of of how like Giannis became great. This dude had a vision for him, and and it was uncompromising, and it wasn't easy, and it it was confrontational, and it was manipulative, maybe on some level. But I think, like, I can see what this finished product. I can see the beginning stages from what Jason Kidd was doing. So That's weird. Um, I, like maybe I read that wrong. I was like, oh yeah, oh wow. <laughs> well, you've been. I guess it's different when you've been in those coaching circles or in those practices, and you know how these conversations go or how the methods like reach certain players, which is different than me as an outsider just reading in and parachuting into that story. You might have different context about how different coaches operate. But um, speaking of NBA coaches, uh, my favorite coach in the world is joining us, uh, Danny Mahegan. <laughs> Uh, my buddy uh, from back in the day, we used to work at ESPN together. He was in the research department, or I guess, Edge Technologies. We were oh, interns yeah. together in Bristol. I mean, uh, what 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 town did you live in, Danny? I keep forgetting. Was it? It wasn't uh, Weathersfield. No, I live hard hit in New Britain. Baby. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. After Britain. about three weeks in Manchester, then I realized how far away I was from where I should be. And then uh, bailed quick and got, yeah, yeah, lived in New Britain right across the street from uh, CCSU. So it's, what is that? That's Jade Hoy, that's uh, Tom Thibodeau, and that's uh, Danny Megan. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you guys well, Danny. Danny went to the Missouri School of Journalism, and then he was just like all of us, like a huge sports nut. And then went to ESPN stats and wasn't really a numbers guy. And then Amin became a stats teacher, a high school stats teacher and a basketball coach. So he went to school for journalism, but ended up not liking math, but then like turned out to be like, that's going to be your profession. So you ended up loving math because of ESPN basically, right? Or, yeah, or is it yeah. just me? It's, it's versatile. I'm not clueless. All right. I'm not indecisive. I'm versatile. So. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Went from newspaper writing and, uh, uh, and then this ESPN job got me back into numbers and, uh, yeah. And then now I'm a high school math teacher and a coach. So it's, it's been a weird journey, but it all started 
$12 an hour at Edge Tech, baby. $12 an hour at Edge Tech. There it is. Danny, are you still hungover? How are you feeling from last night? Being out and celebrating the NBA Wait. championship for for the no, for the Milwaukee Bucks, Tom. Tom, that's not the first question. The first question is: Are you right now quarantined somewhere? Like, <laughs> are the, I, I I imagine wherever you spent the night last night, there were people in like hazmat suits who were spraying you down as oh, you walked well, in. <laughs> the, this is one of those things that I shouldn't probably shouldn't admit to, considering the fact that COVID is very much still real. Um, it hadn't felt like it for the last couple of days. That's for sure. <laughs> but um, last night, last night was was a crazy night. Uh, we you're uh, the biggest Bucks fan I know. I don't know many Bucks fans. Maybe you're the only Bucks fan I know. But like, is, yeah, this was incredible. Very unless you meet my brother, that might be it. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was an incredible night. Um, yeah, the hangover was real this morning. Hangover was real. But uh, we took care of that with some aspirin and some donuts, and and we're uh, we're back at it today. Um, but it is just like it's it, it's been wild. Just uh, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit, the next couple minutes. But just how like happy everybody in this city is right now. Like July in Milwaukee is always a happy time because it's one of the few months out of the year that it's you know tolerable weather wise. It's you know 75 degrees and sunny and it's not too hot. But it's one of the few months that isn't too cold. So people are genu- generally in a good mood. But man, it is just. It has just been like pure elation all over the place. I mean, like last night, you know, we're we're waiting for 90 minutes to get into a bar three hours before the game mm. because the 65,000 person beer district is already full. Ran out of beer. Oh, before. wait, it was already full? They, they ran out of beer before the game started in the Tom, deer district. Tom, let me tell you something. I was doing radio yesterday and at like 10 Eastern, uh, 10 uh, Pacific, which would have been like noon uh what do you call it milwaukee time central time we call it milwaukee time that's cool people people were caught like callers were calling in hey bucks gonna take it tonight bucks and six actually as soon as i'm done with this call i'm headed to the deer district right now and i'm like the game's at eight o'clock they're heading there like 11 12 12 o'clock i mean like a.m they're heading they're like spending the whole day out there and i was just like Really, how bad could it be? And then I saw that aerial shot of that entire deer district, which, if you don't know, it's Fiserv Forum. And then across from Fiserv Forum are all of these bars. There's the there's Mecca. There's oh, what's it called? Punch Bar, Punch Drunk Social. Yeah, Punch Bowl Social. Punch Bowl yeah, Social. Yeah. All these bars are just facing. They're it's like in a row. They're facing the arena. And so usually this is just an an expanse of space that people. We'll go to bar pregame and then walk across this kind of uh, big uh, square Concourse, to get to the yeah, arena. Yeah. yeah, and now it's just a sea of war. It was a sea of humanity. Um, at what point, though, when when you're in the middle of that, and you weren't in the middle of that, I guess you were. You were at a bar. Which bar did you yeah. go to? We went to. Uh, it's called Camp. Uh, so we went, it's called Deer Camp, Milwaukee. So uh, camps. Uh, um, you know, there's like five locations around the city, but they call this one deer camp because it's right because it's like a block away from the arena. So okay. it's got a, it's like Wisconsin themed. So even if the bucks weren't around, there's deer heads on the walls and stuff like that all over the there place. But yeah, but we were close. We were very close. So, so you're watching and, and there's something about the communal watching of a huge game, right? Mm-hmm. Where 
hey, if y'all win, if you're winning, it's really fucking cool. You're high-fiving a stranger and you're hugging people and then, and you're all living and dying with every kind of shot and dunk and everything. But when it's tense, that shit isn't, I don't, I don't enjoy it personally. I don't enjoy being in that moment of like, oh my God, are they blowing it now? And we're being all, around we all just are, yeah. Who are yeah. all doing that same thing. It's like that energy. And by the way, it's so different from being in the arena. I feel like when you're in the mm-hmm. arena, there is a kind of almost an, uh, a pre-program that we all have that we got to stay positive. We have to keep positive. We can't turn as the crowd because they feed off of us. But when we're watching co- in a communal environment outside the arena, away from the players, the tendency to turn to the negative to, oh, here it goes. Everything is about to come crashing down is a lot stronger. So in those tense moments, Danny, what was it like? <laughs> okay, so I've got, uh, I've got, first of all, I 100% agree with you. I've got a story. I don't know if we should best bust out the best story of the night, but it comes because of something you just said. Um, but yeah, it, all of a sudden, so I'm, I'm like, I'm 5'9 on a good day. The tall people near me get a lot more annoying after a couple turnovers, um, after a couple mid-range jumpers from the Suns. All of a sudden, the fact that I kind of have to you know, work my way around this guy to see the screen is a lot more annoying than it is when the Bucks are on a run. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you get a little more just like, oh, okay, maybe I should just stay at home. Um, but so obviously, Bucks had a great first quarter last night, up by up by thirteen at the end of the first. Um, and I don't know if it's because the Suns went on a run. But partway through the second quarter, um, somebody comes out, somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, hey, hey, that guy up there, so, you know, points to a guy, he really likes your shirt. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, it's an NBA, NBA Jam shirt with, uh, um, with Giannis and Middleton on it. Um, and and I got some compliments on the shirt before, but um, I was like, okay, cool. He's like, he'll give you 100 bucks to trade shirts with him right now. Oh, wow. I said, I said, I said, Hey, what, what I said? Uh, and so I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's standing up there looking at me, holding a $100 bill in his hands. Um, and she goes, I'll <laughs> give you an extra 22. We'll make it 120. Go just to, to trade shirts. Goes, yep. What, right now. What trade shirt, shirt did he have on? Punch yeah. I, I think it was, yeah, I think it was just a giveaway from, uh, oh. so it was, it said Jameson, it was like Jameson, you know, whiskey with the bucks logo on it. So it's just like nice. a pretty standard looking buck shirt he's wearing. Um, not bad, I'm not bad at that. <laughs> and then uh, he, uh, and, and so I'm looking around, I asked my wife, I'm just like, I know this is ridiculous, but like, do I do it? I mean, the shirt cost me 25 bucks and you can buy, like I could go buy one. I'm going to buy one today to, you know, point being, it was like, it's a tie game now. Like, the Suns are on like a 17 to four run to tie the game. I, I think you got to do it. This is a bad oh, vibe right They changed yeah, the vibe. It was like, oh. you know, we got we had, it was like, okay, first of all, I can appreciate the 120 bucks. That's going to pay for all of our drinks. And two, that's a good vibe change with that because it's not like we can leave and go to a different bar to change the vibe. Like, right. it, yeah, it was standing room only. It's bad juju. Right. You got to switch so, out yeah. the bad juju. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. You got to do it. Pop the shirt off right there in the middle of the bar, throw it across uh, to this guy who then throws me his. Uh, I'm $120 richer. I don't think he judged how small I was because it did not fit him, but it's too late. Um, <laughs> no backsies, no refunds on this. It's a little tight on him, but he's, he's rocking and rolling. Then, uh, you know, then we go into halftime, we come out and have a much better third quarter and, and obviously win the game. Uh, and, uh, 
And then of course I went up to him in the, in the fourth quarter, we took a Jersey swap picture as you know, oh, you need to do, I think, <laughs> nice. I think you got to do that. That's, that's oh, smart. Um, but yeah, that's so I think that was, so that was both the, that's a bunch of things right there. That's the, like you're saying, the, 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 we got to do something crazy to get things back on the level. That's the, uh, man, it kind of feels like COVID is over cause I'm changing shirts with a dude. I don't know, um, uh, in the middle of a bar, um, uh, and that's also just the like everybody's just happy and they're doing ridiculous things that you wouldn't do normally. And you're, but it's all around this, you know, like coming together around your team, around your city, around like all that stuff. I think it was kind of like all came together in that like moment in that story. Um, and now I got 120 bucks. So that's right. That's right. It, it pays for the plane ticket at least in yeah, part, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. With, um, so what made you go to this game? Like, did your buddies get tickets? Did your family get tickets? Were you like, all right, I, cause you're, you live here in Charlotte with me. And yeah. when I saw a picture of you and Aaron at the game, I was like, wait, you're at, you're at game six. And you're like, dude, of course I'm at game six. <laughs> it was, I wish it was, I wish it was, I almost wish it was a, in the moment I, I figured out we had a chance to clinch. It was going to be at home. I had to be home, but it was a little bit more of, this was a pre-planned trip you know, teacher schedule. So late July, I'm always off work. Yeah. And, and I always try to come back to Milwaukee for a week. Um, and then thanks to things getting moved back with, with COVID and everything, it just so happened to be though. I knew this month ago, I was, if we make the finals and it stretches, I'm going to be home for that. Um, so, uh, you know, planning on going to Chicago for this upcoming weekend, but we said we're staying in Milwaukee until the series is over. I don't care if my parents are tired of me living back in my old bedroom. Um, I'm staying until this series is over and, um, and I'm going to keep mooching off them um, as much as I can. So it was, it was very much a, um, you know, it, the fact I'm going to be home is perfect. But that said, I did have a couple friends from all over that flew back or, or drove back and are, are in Milwaukee right now and are not in Milwaukee other than Christmas. Um, but they're all back this week. So many old friends from high school. Everybody's back in town. A lot of people were downtown last night. And it was a little bit of like, we just had to get in the mix. You know, I, I, I live about uh, 15 minutes from downtown. And uh, as crazy as it was, and, you know, we're in our mid-30s. We don't really need to be messing around like that anymore. But it, said, it might be it might be a once-in-a-lifetime thing to get to do this. You know, it, last time the Bucks were in the finals, my dad was in high school. And, uh, you know, it, 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 and, and so for him and for all the other lifelong fans, like, you know, you got Kareem and Oscar Robertson. You're probably not thinking this is the last championship we're ever going to be, you know, last championship we're ever going to be in. Uh, but 50 years later, that's how long it takes to get back here. So it's a little bit of we got to take advantage while we can. You know, I, so, I didn't. I did, oh, yeah. Sorry. My bad. No, no. I, I was going to ask because you, you mentioned your pops and he was obviously in high school when when 74 happened. The yeah. 80s happened. And, you know, I, I talked to Marcus Johnson today and I told him, you know, one of the really amazing things is the Bucks were like one of the best teams in the league in the eighties, but it's the forgotten team because yeah. it's like they, every year they lost to the eventual champion. It was like either the Sixers or the, the uh, Celtics or the Pistons, but they were really good. Mm -hmm. uh, they beat each one of those teams at one point or another in the playoffs. And then in the nineties, you had Ray Allen and, and Sam Cassell and big dog. And so, as your dad has kind of witnessed this roller coaster of bucks are good, bucks are terrible, bucks are good, bucks are terrible. What was last night like for him? I think it was, you know, and 
he can probably hear me from the other rooms. So maybe he'll correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it was just one of those of like, of just, I don't want to say like elation, but just it's, it's worth it to, to support your hometown team through the bad. Because when the good happens, it's so much, so much more worth it. Like it was just genuine, like not relief. Like we're not good at the, the Bucks haven't been good enough for a long stretch of time for it to count as relief, but just like, Oh my God, it's, it, it's worth it. We're happy for the, the Bucks, but we're happy for the city and like happy for those of us that put so much energy and time and money into supporting, you know, like where we come from. Like, I think that's the big thing is it's not, you know, it's not anything more than just like, man, this just feels good. I don't really know what the, you know, what the, the emotion is. And maybe it was the hangover talking. He just got back from the golf course, but we haven't talked too much about it yet. Like we haven't put it all together. Well, maybe we'll do that at dinner tonight, but it was just like, man, this is, this is really, really cool. You know, we, we, you know, I'm sure when, when the Bucks won the title in, in 71 and when they made the finals in 74 and he was in high school, it was cool, but you know, you're too young to know, right. you know, and, and not knowing it's not gonna happen for 50 more years. It's, um, you know, it's just like, uh, it, it, you're just not really sure what that's going to mean when it finally gets there. And it's going to take a little while to sink in. I think as, as Bucks fans, pretty much all of us are also Brewers fans, never won the world series. Right. You know, we, haven't been to the World Series since 1982. Came real close a couple of years ago, but kind of one of those like not forgotten. I really feel like, bad for Packers fans, though. Like, yeah, and then well, that's the and then you know now that said, we're also all Packers fans, and the Packers have had their bad stretches, but not in the, the last 25 years have been pretty amazing as Packers fans. So we do have that. We know what it's like to to win a championship. The teams we support, but I think it's just like man, 50 years supporting the same team. How bad they've been. When they're good, they're just not quite good enough. But now to do it and to do it with Giannis, who just, you know, I mean, could talk for hours just about like what a wonderful human being he seems to be. And yeah, um, how- see, let's, let's put that aside for a second. We yeah, need to get to yeah, the good yeah. stuff, Danny. Danny, okay. like we can, we can yeah. glorify Giannis all that we want. <laughs> but really, what I want to know is the best jerseys you saw last night. Oh, oh my goodness. How oh my goodness. The Patino game of people walking around at that game. Oh. I got one picture. That someone sent me that had Cassell and had someone wearing a Larry Sanders jersey. Ooh. Oh, uh, that's good. It had, uh, hold on, what else? Uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. Uh, Solid. Solid. Uh, let me see Which what is else a, Mike Dunleavy has a weird place in, in Milwaukee, right? Like Giannis yeah. decks him and basically kills him yeah. on the court. But also the Dunleavies yeah. are like, you know. Yeah, I, I grew yeah. up playing sports with Dunleavy Jr. when his dad was the head coach. So Sean, it's Sean Respert, Andrew Bogut, Michael Carter Williams, Jabari Parker. This that's, is all one little collage from like one corner outside that of is, Pfizer Forum. That is pretty good. So here's what we were actually talking about this. This is like you said, this is the big uh, one of those fun games to play. So my favorite, which I have, I didn't wear it last night because I wore my NBA Jam shirt before I sold it. But um, my favorite is my TJ Ford jersey. That I've got, which is great. It's like seven <laughs> sizes too big. It has to be. Yes. So was TJ's. Has to so was TJ's. Exactly. exactly. Um, but I was uh, at the table. The table next to me in the bar was um, Vin Baker. Uh, so Vin Baker jersey, which was good. Uh, Tim Thomas, notorious TIM, uh, was on did the we, back. Did we get any Brandon Jennings jersey sightings? So I saw a few, not as many as I thought. I saw a bunch personalized 
bucks in the number six jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of counts as a Brandon yeah. Jennings jersey. I saw a couple. Those were good. Um, some of the name drops, we were, you know, we were just playing that game. You're just naming old Bucks players. Like that's just in, uh, man, we had some, we had some, we had some good ones. Uh, um, you know, those, those top 10 draft picks you love, like Joe Alexander, Marcus, oh, yeah. ha- West Marcus, Hays- Marcus Hayslip, Hayslip. Tennessee, that, yeah. Um, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce his name. Uh, Yijin Leon, I think is how you say uh, it. He, him, yeah. he, he versus the chair. Who the chairman. He, the chairman. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, some of those, I'm going to, now I'm gonna, it's going to stump me in the moment. But what were some Dan of the other? Dan Gadzerich, anywhere? Dan, oh, my goodness. Oh, I said he, that name. I know Danny loves some, some Gadzerich. <laughs> I, I think one of my cousins started crying when we said his name out loud. He just can't oh. stand the fact that he was such an important part of our team. Um, I didn't Urban see his jersey. Johnson. You stole the words right out of my mouth. I didn't see any EJ jerseys last night, but the amount of, uh, I don't know if, if any non-Bucks fans would remember this, but in the late nineties, when they were good, the Bucks had like a, like a, a, a theme song that would get played on the jumbo track called light it up. Ooh, and I don't know. Oh my Wait, God, I can't, so I can't, good. I can't, oh. uh, it's not, I'm not, it's not coming into my head. Could you give me a rendition of it, Danny? Don't, oh, don't worry. I absolutely can. So can everybody else in this city. Um, it, I, who's going to win it? The Bucks. The Bucks. Light it up. Light it up. And then they would name drop every person on the roster. And so go, <laughs> he would say, light it, light it up twice. And then light it up. Light up. Irvin Johnson. And then they would show him being nine feet tall, but refusing to dunk, just dropping the ball <laughs> in over the top of the ring. Um, Darvin Ham was oh, obviously Bucks' assistant, but he was yep. always, he was in those videos on those teams. Um, who else was on those teams in the, uh, uh, in just, the late nineties, oh, just, Anthony like, Mason. I don't know if you remember. Anthony Mason might have been on one of those teams. He absolutely <laughs> was. That's right when we started to crater. Yeah, <laughs> when George Carl, George Carl wanted him. Yeah, when uh, when Ray Allen was washed up in two thousand two. But you know what? It's, not, it's not my day to talk about that. That is, whew, see, this is, these are all the good memories coming flying back right now. Yeah. Um, I just found. Yeah, oh, the, the, by the way, Tom, I just found on YouTube a quick search. There's two versions. There's lighted up 2000 version. Then there's lighted up 2001. So, in case Ooh. you want to stay current with Second the roster edition. changes, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's almost like when you're playing video games and like it's you know you're still playing 2K and like it's now 2K1 hasn't come out yet. You yeah. gotta you start to make your own roster updates and stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, so you guys are gonna have to watch that video. Just the most like 2000, uh, you know, video board you know, uh, like hype video by some dudes who can't rap. I don't even know if they're, I don't even know if they're pretending to rap, but it's so bad that it's good in 20 years down the road. It's what we all like quote all the time. Oh, the other one, my Did brother they- has it, uh, Terrell Brandon Jersey bucks, Terrell oh, Brandon, yeah, the, the one, one with yeah. the, the one with the deer on it, you know, that takes up yeah. like three quarters of the Jersey. That's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. So uh, it was a lot uh, of fun watching all those last night. Tom, Did they play that at the song. bar? Like when the championship Tom, happens, hear, Tom, are they playing Light It you Up? You got to hear this song. Tom, you got to hear this song. Go, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. <laughs> it's just like, it's some like one piano key playing in the background and a bunch of dudes yelling Milwaukee. It, yeah. And they just, you know, screenshots of random people around the city and tell you what, the city doesn't look good with those camera, with those cameramen. You know, it just looks all grungy and dirty. But just getting fired up for the Bucks to go thirty nine and forty three and lose four one in the first round—that's what you know my entire childhood was. So it's so awesome now having this and having those memories to draw back on while we're actually competitive and, and now winning championships. Danny, 
Robert Giannis Tractor Trailer is oh. very heavily featured. <laughs> Thank you. That was okay. The the girl sitting next to Vin Baker last night was wearing a Tractor Trailer jersey. A lot yeah. of RIP and peace to Tractor Trailer. Yes, this one's for him. It's a uh, celebration. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. That was another great one from last night. It was a little Tractor Trailer. It'd been a minute since I'd seen one of those. Danny, uh, you have the floor. Giannis Antetokounmpo, go ahead. <laughs> it's as you know, Tom. I, my wife Erin uh, grew up in grew up in North Carolina. Went to UNC. Really, kind of only doesn't really follow sports that much. But that's all I seem to care about. And especially with no UNC connection, I'm trying to find some way to get her to like the things that I care so much about. And when Giannis's story was on 60 Minutes about four years ago. I had her hooked just with what a, what a good dude he seemed to be. And, and then as he continues to get better and better and it proves that he's so genuine, like being able to cheer for somebody like that, who was so grateful to be picked by Milwaukee, you know, obviously starting to develop, you know, we're the kind of team that's not going to run him out of town at the end of his rookie contract. if He's not that great yet, but then for him to show that, you know, to him, for him to reward our, faith and you know faith and trust in him and just re-signing this past winter um showing that hey milwaukee is good enough for somebody that good um we don't really get that feeling a lot here i don't think like we've got a little bit of little brother syndrome uh, to chicago uh i think but it's a little bit more of like we you know just who was it somebody on espn a month ago talking about oh i can't believe we have to go to milwaukee it's going to be terrible whatever um steven a be able to yeah, probably. Um, to somebody who probably gets paid thirteen dollars an hour by Edge Tech, one of those one of those rich guys. Um, <laughs> you know, to be able to have uh, you know somebody that good, that successful, that like humble, like represent our city on the world stage is man, it's just it's awesome. Uh, and, and I don't think that happens you know that often these days. So it's just really really cool. Uh, you know, for him to, to, I think I'm just getting laughed at in the background right now. So that's why I'm <laughs> losing my tongue. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Um, if he's, if he, if it's your dad, have yeah. him come over here because I want to, I want to ask him some questions. Okay. You know what? I will, I will definitely do that. We'll get him in just a sec. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just think it's, um, it's just so awesome for him to be like that real. And even like this morning, um, I don't know if you guys saw his, his, his IG Chick-fil-A. live where he's at Chick fil A, ordered a 50 piece nugget. And not 49, you know, not, not 51, not 49, not 51, but 50 and still being, you know, and still talking about his love for Milwaukee and, and being the kind of guy who would do that. And yet is still sitting in his own car in the, in the drive through line. Like, dude, you don't have to do that. You can get whatever you want. You don't have to be in your car in the line, you know, encouraging other people to get around and starting bucks and six chance himself. And, um, you know, just being real. And I think that's what, you know, he is. And that's what, Milwaukee is and so just to be able to um you know to be able to have that all come together like this on the national world stage is really really cool I could yeah, go a lot longer but you know but I got by, dinner soon so you know that's by the by the way really quick I just want to point yeah. out the, the biggest thing I learned from that vi- those lighted up videos is that Danny Manning played on those like <laughs> 2,000 bucks like I oh thought- yeah it's so weird when you get one of those bridge players, like someone who's like clearly 80s, early 90s, 
yeah. bridging over to like the 21st century. It's like, wait a second, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah, that's a good, see, it's like every once in a while, that video absolutely gets sent around different like roof chats and stuff all the time. And you get some <laughs> of those throwbacks, even, even we forget about it. It's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So yeah, let's, if your dad's there, we'd love to, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Uh, hold on one second. Dad, <laughs> they're requesting you over here. Say no more. <laughs> if he's like my dad, he's ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Mr. Mahegan. Hello. It's Tom. You, you, I think you've been at my house before for the Tom? Kentucky Derby a couple of years back. Congratulations Absolutely. on the uh, on the you. victory last night. Thank you. So it's a pretty exciting time around here. Now I, I was talking to Danny, and I, he mentioned that you were in high school when the Bucks won their first championship back in '74, and so it just got my mind jogging because I, I spoke to Marcus Johnson today, and I was talking to him about you know it's crazy about those Bucks teams of the '80s were really good. They're the forgotten team of the 80s because they were just as good as the Celtics and the Pistons and the Sixers but could never get over the hump, and now no one remembers them. So for you, having been a Bucks fan for over 50 years and starting with that championship that you remember in high school and then watching the 80s, almost getting there but not quite, and then getting the 90s, and you got Cassell and Ray Allen and almost getting to the conference finals, and then it all kind of fell apart after that. And, and now this era... What was going through your mind emotionally yesterday as the clock's winding down and you realize, holy hell, they've done it? <laughs> well, it is sort of hard to describe what was going I, I can tell you I cried like a baby when it was over. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Danny told you, my dad was an original season ticket holder, and I still have the ticket. So, you know, wow. 52, 52 years, and the group has changed, obviously, over the years. But I was at that first finals in 71, but I was, I was a kid. And uh, he, he suffered through some ugly years and ugly nights, you know, cold winter nights in February in Wisconsin, going down to the old arena. Uh, but it, it's all worth it when last night happens. And uh, this team is, is such a fun team and a likable team, I think. You know, obviously, I'm mm -hmm. biased, but even my friends from out of state have talked about how it's an easy team to like and embrace the city. So. Hard to describe the feelings, but it's 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 great to be with. My, my dad's a Red Sox fan, grew me up as a Red Sox fan, and just always told me like, don't get your hopes up because the Red Sox are going to blow it and make make you feel really bad about um, you know rooting for the team. Don't throw too much of your heart into it. Did you feel any of that weight watching the game last night? Of like, man, I really I really hope they win this because this would be really painful if it happened just like X year or the year but like were some of those nightmares coming back to haunt you last night absolutely you know, i remember the you know the glenn robinson the shot he missed against philly that you know would have put us in the finals uh even the even you know the in the in the bubble we thought we had this great team and couldn't do it so uh yeah i never feel good till that uh, until that gun sounds, that buzzer sounds, or, or we get close to it, because you you, just, you think about the times it didn't work out, but uh, this team was so resilient. Who's your Love favorite it. buck of all time? Ooh, that is that is a hard one. My favorite buck of all time, and I'm going to try and think about somebody that that's not on the team now. Um, Scott Wedman. What's that? <laughs> Scott Wedman. <laughs> uh, no. 
Rory Sparrow. I thought you said Scott Williams for a second. I thought well, Scott Williams. Wow. I like, he got, I like Scott if he didn't Williams, get suspended. But, uh, if he didn't get suspended, that, that was probably a winner. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I love Brian Winters. I guess oh, I'll okay. go back to Brian Winters because yeah. he was. Uh, I think his name's up in the rafters. I, you know, I love that he shoot the long ball before the three was even around. So he'd probably be in the top five. Uh, yeah, that's great. What- so, uh, you you're, you experience this this joyful occasion. Is there any sort of kind of an an emotional letdown like days later? I, you know, I I don't know how to describe it because the, the teams that I'm fans of, I'm I'm a fan of the Yankees, and they won so much. It's like you, you never really kind of feel anything really intense when they do win. I'm a fan of the Giants, and I've always said the, the New York Giants are like being a C student that's really gifted. They're going to win one <laughs> once every decade. They're going to like snooze through all the midterms, but at least once a decade, I'm going to get a Super Bowl. So I kind of expect it. I don't know the feeling of rooting for a team that had to wait 50 years and finally winning it. And so today, what's the emotion today now that you've had some time to think about it and, and, and the, the, the kind of the, the, the smell of champagne is gone. What is your emotion today as You've got the rest of the summer to look forward to. Well, today it's still a pretty big high. I mean, I'm not even thinking about – in fact, I was just watching – I could watch these replays forever. I don't know how yeah. long I keep watching this game. I was, I was watching a little bit of Sports Center, and, you know, they were talking about can they repeat. Let's just enjoy this for a while. Let's <laughs> not worry about repeating. This is so great. So, um, you know, certainly we've been fortunate enough around here to have, you know, the Packers win a Super Bowl and, Brewers got to a World Series. You know, those are our, our teams. But uh, the fact that they're they're champions with what I think is a makeup of a really good team that could stay together for a while uh, makes it all the more exciting. So I'm ready okay. for next year. Okay, so here here's my question. Through some clerical error, only one of these plays can be memorialized forever, in either in a statue or a mural or something like that. Th- these are the rules. You can't pick both. It's got to be one of them. Is it the Giannis block or is it the holiday steal? I, I knew those are the two that you make to choose from. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say the Giannis block because as great as holidays steal was and arguably maybe even at a more critical point of the game, just the sheer athleticism of what Giannis did there uh, just was mind boggling. I mean, I, I mean, I just turned to my wife. We, we weren't at that game. I fortunately went to game three, but I, when I saw that, I was like, did that really just happen? Yeah. So I'll go with the opposite block to answer your question. I thought you were just going to say that Brandon Jennings saying Bucks and six is going to be immortalized into a <laughs> statue. Uh, yeah. Brandon, I, I heard Brandon was getting them going last night at the, uh, at the five serve. He was pounding the drum. I heard. Yes. <laughs> so all the old bucks came out last night. It's great. It's great to see. Well, great Mr. Mahegan, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you played uh, nice golf today out on out yeah. on the links. And you, you were able to ride that high of last night's victory and, and infuse that into your golf game. Well, I'd love to do it. I, uh, I hope that continues the rest of this weekend because we got a big tournament. But uh, I, I can't say that <laughs> happened today. So. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. Should I All put right. Danny back on or 
Yeah, we put Danny it. back on and we'll uh, we'll bid right. adieu. All right, take care. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, do you have to roll? Uh, no, I, I I let them know that I'm running a bit late, so we can wrap okay. naturally. Okay. Unless you had like 20 more minutes of, of content. He just like said that. that your brother is way better at every sport than you are. Yeah. Un- unsolicited, by the way. Yeah, he just he just <laughs> wanted to get that out Completely there. He asked him about Chris Middleton, and he just goes, oh, yeah, Danny's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Speaking of, as <laughs> as one thing my brother just said, he was like, so have you started talking about your high school career yet? You probably should. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, – Hey, but, I mean, uh, he plays like Jimmy you know, Fredette. I, like he has range beyond belief, um, but he's five nine, so it's kind of tough. Like he, I mean, he can shoot it from from half court. We we only shoot threes because there are no fours. You know, that's it. That's Shout the motto. Right Walker, yeah, yeah, that, that that's it. So Buttonholzer, he's you're not going to fire him. You know, I I kind of made that joke a couple weeks ago. Said it's going to be funny when. You know, we're, you know, if the Bucks win it all, we're going to be the first team to fire our coach. But, <laughs> but that said, I think it's one of those where that, you know, kind of like what uh, I mean. What you're saying earlier is when, when you're not in the arena, you're fine being negative. It's easy to watch a game on TV. It's easy to be in a group chat with friends and right. and dog everything because you're not really dealing with the intricacies of it. It's the same as some of my friends who so mad that holiday's going four for 19 when you're it's like but it's everything else he's doing that we I, can't see i was everything motherfucking is, that guy last <laughs> i was like what are you doing <laughs> but but you know i think budenholzer is one of those one signing that guy to an extension so we can get mad about it again next year but um but no i think he deserves <laughs> to hang around for a little bit um yeah and uh but yeah it's just one of those i it, you can say everything about his facial expressions i think they're hilarious looks like he's clueless you you know his his pregame speeches sound a lot like mine, and there's a reason I'm only a, I was only a high school JV coach. Uh, <laughs> hey hey, we got two players in the NBA. I'm not saying they were ever at my JV team, but we do have two players in the NBA. Yeah, uh, you had Grant, you had Grant Williams, and who else? Uh, Devon Dot. He's, uh, oh. he's a two two way guy for the Bulls. Uh, but uh, but yeah, they will say they they quickly skipped over my JV team. Uh, but. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I think it's one of those where Boone you know, he showed his, you know what, because he, he obviously did some things, you know, this postseason that took the Bucks, you know, over the hump. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have won it with a different coach, but I think he deserves to hang around for at least one more year now that we got a chip. I didn't ask. The buzzer goes to zero. What do you do? And you're hugging the drunk guy next to you and forgetting about Aaron or you're hugging Aaron or like what's 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 happening when it, the clock strikes zero last night? straight and just just arms straight in the air just screaming um just just screaming yes i did go to my wife first i am i i might not be smart but i'm not dumb uh and so uh yeah i went straight to the wife and, and i you know it is i you know I, I can't believe we won i can't believe we're champions i was with a couple of my cousins a couple other mohegans and um and it was awesome just getting to celebrate with them but yeah just a lot of yelling high fives and um you know, and throwing up whatever was, you know, uh, into the air, I should say, whatever drink we had left. No, no actual projectile vomiting going on, <laughs> but uh, throw, throwing the drink up in the air and going, oh my God, I can't believe we just won. Yeah. Just not knowing what to do. Just like today, I barely know how to talk about it. Uh, just not knowing what to do, but just, oh my God, we won immediately out into the streets just to start yelling. We bailed before it got crazy, uh, you know, middle of the night, but, um, 
but yeah, but just wanting to be out in the streets and just be around Milwaukeeans, you know, just wanting to be around happy people. So yeah. um, uh, Maze, our producer wanted to know about the single solitary porta potty in the middle of the deer district. Did you hear <laughs> anything about this or were there any bathroom <laughs> I, issues there? I did see, I did see a picture of that. That looked pretty, pretty hilarious. Um, no issues like that where I was, I think, uh, you know, as, a. Um, as outdoorsmen here in Wisconsin, you know, we can survive without, uh, without too many <laughs> official bathrooms, you know, just, uh, I'm looking for my golf ball over here. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of that. So I think we're, I think we made it. Danny, thank you so much. And man, I'm so happy for you and your family. That's awesome. Um, thank you guys so much for, for having me, for having us on. It's, uh, you know, uh, as I think I heard my dad say, uh, we're willing to talk about this to anybody for as long as you guys want us to talk about it. So this is very, very cool to, uh, to be able to talk to you guys about it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Danny. Yeah, All right, light it up, guys. The word around town is we're lighting it up. So who's going to win it? The Bucks, the Bucks. The purple and green is exciting and tough. So who's going to win it? The Bucks, the Bucks. From the Central Division, the team that's swishing, running and dishing. The Bucks on a mission to celebrate, hold it down in the back. But Big Dog and Tim round out the attack. It's the Bucks, talented and tough. What's up? The team from the walk is about to erupt. We got the alley-oops look away, hyping it up. The Bucks 2000, lighting it up. Ray Allen, light it up, light it up. My man, Big So who's gonna win it? The Bucks! The Sam Cassell! Light it up, light it up! And the tractor! Light it up, light it Danny up! Danny Manning! Light it up, light it up! Who's gonna win it? The Bucks! The Bucks! Milwaukee! 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 Light it up, light it up!